God. Thank you for that, brother. At this time, our young friends, grades 1 through 6, are dismissed to junior church. That's grades 1 through 6. You can follow our junior church workers back to our fellowship hall. If you're here this morning and you have a young person with you, grades 1 through 6, and you'd like to join them for junior church, you are always welcome to go back and see what it is that's going on back there. I I, uh, turned on my phone this morning, looked at the news, And the headline on the news page that I said was, People leave behind a heavy 2022 for a better 2023. And immediately below that, it says North Korea calls for a more capable uh, intercontinental ballistic missile to deliver larger nuclear payload. And that's their plan for this year. And 12 people were stampled, or stampled, stampeded, trampled to death in Uganda during fireworks when some people were running. And then underneath that, I saw something about drones and drones and missiles exploding over Kiev instead of um, fireworks. And I thought, well, it's nice to say that we're going to have a better year, but then they put all that stuff right underneath it, and it makes you think, how much has really changed between yesterday and today? We're going to write the wrong date for uh, a few weeks, I imagine, when we're dating things. I had that happen already this morning. And I can envision in my mind what a perfect 2023 would look like, but I can almost promise you I'm not going to get what I envision. We can't control a lot of the things that go on in our lives. We can't control inflation. We can't control our health. Uh, We can't control what goes on at work. If there's downsizing or if there's pay cuts or we say hire somebody for us to work with, it's miserable. We can't control school, who is going to end up being our teacher or our professor or what we end up Uh, who we end up sitting next to and all of those things that matter so much at that age. But there are some things we can control. We can control what we do. We can control what our actions are. And if we look at what the Word of God has to say, we can have an amazing new year. It would enrich our lives. It would make it better than last year. And you might ask, what what are those things that we can do? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, In Philippians chapter 2, we have counsel from the Word of God specifically about what we can do with our thoughts and our actions. And it gives us a recipe for a very good 2023. So let's look in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. The Word of God says this, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for the added blessing to the reading of your word and that your spirit would guide us into truth. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul is is writing these inspired words from prison, and he is writing to a church, a young church in the city of Philippi, one that he had a hand in starting. 
And he was writing to them about how to live the Christian life. Now, we don't know everything that's going on. Paul didn't give us a journal about the trouble that they were having in Philippi, but he manages to touch on a few things here that make us think that the reason he said it was that they needed to be heard over there. They needed to be said. And not just for the church in Philippi, but I think they need to be said for us here today, though we're talking quite a while later. He begins by saying, If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, you say, what is he talking about? He's saying, if Christ has ever done anything for you, if he's ever given you peace when there was no peace, if he's ever given you comfort when there was no comfort, if he's ever encouraged you, if he's ever given you that love that sustains you, and you look at the word bowels and you think, I really don't want that. You say, what does bowels have to do with anything? In, in ancient thinking, we, we tend to think about stuff coming from the heart. When someone really means something, that it came from the heart, or it was heartfelt, or they did something wholeheartedly, they would also include in that the deepest part of themselves being their, their belly, their bowels. And so they talk about with the deepest kind of affection that you can feel. So you're not talking about anything like uh, GI distress. This is love at the deepest level. If you've ever experienced mercy from Christ, Paul's about to make uh, an ask. He's about to ask them for something. He said, if you have ever experienced any benefit from knowing Christ as your Savior, then I have something to ask you. That's what he's saying. And praise God, we have experienced so much from knowing Christ as our Savior. Did you know that when you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again from the grave, that he paid for your sin debt, when you, when you believe on him, did you know you don't just get out of hell? There's a whole lot more that goes with it. There's a whole lot more. Some people, they treat it as though it's just fire insurance, and they say, well, I better get right with God so I don't end up um, in, in torment. I'd like to go to heaven. But you get so much more than that. You're adopted into God's family. You're born again and given new life. God himself comes to live inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. He's promised, as we'll see tonight or this afternoon, to work in you, to make you the kind of person that you ought to be. All of these blessings come in it. His guidance comes with it. And if you've ever experienced his peace that passes all understanding, when you ought to be falling apart, you're not. And when you ought to be losing it, you have some sort of cool that you just can't explain. And you say, what is that? I've seen it before at the bedside of, of godly saints as they're about to go home to be with the Lord. I've seen grace come over people in a way that I can't even, I've never experienced it yet, but they did and they were ready to go. And you say, what a wonderful savior that he gives us all of this. And since he's given us all of this, pay attention to verse number two, fulfill ye my joy that ye might be like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He's saying, here's what I ask of you. This is what would make me joyful. This is what would make me happy. He has an investment in these people. He gave of himself and his time to see his uh, knowledge of Christ given to them, that the life of Christ is born into these people. He's worked hard and prayed hard for them. And he says, this is what would make me happy. You need to change how you've been thinking. You need to change how you've been thinking. And he, he doesn't give us any details here, but he says, I need you to be like-minded. He made a pretty big deal about why they should do it because they've received so much from Christ and he is the servant of Christ, teaching them how to follow Christ. He says this, you need to be like-minded. You know what that makes me think? They weren't like-minded. There was division and there was disagreement and there was trouble. 
We have no idea what it's over. He doesn't give us any details about what it is, but rarely does someone tell you to, to clean something up or to fix something unless it's dirty and broken. And here he's saying you need to be like-minded, meaning that there is division. He says you need to have the same love. You need to love the same things. You need to love in the same way because apparently that wasn't happening. He says you need to be of one accord. You need to find a way to get along and to be close with one another. You need to think the same way, to have one mind. That sounds like an awfully difficult thing when you think about all the different kinds of people that God brings into a church. Some of you are from this area and some of you are not from this area. Some of you are at a certain age and stage in life and you look around and you see lots of other people that are not at that age and stage. They haven't experienced what you've experienced or they've experienced things that you've never experienced. You've walked one path, they've walked another. Their family growing up was one way, your family was another. And you have all of these opinions about what's going on in the world. And that's not new to 2023. They experienced that in Philippi all the way back during the first century. And that's what they're, they're arguing. And we don't know all the details, but some people got rather prideful and they started saying, it's my way or the highway. Either we're going to do it like this or we're done. He says in verse number three, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. We're starting to paint a little more of a picture here, right? You know what strife is? What's strife? fighting, right? It's fighting. It's rivalry. It's, it's uh, prideful. It's ambition. It's I'm going to overcome. Vainglory is just puffing yourself up to make you look good. You know the person I'm talking about in, in the workplace, on the job site, that whenever the boss comes around, they act like they've been working the hardest and they show off all the things that they've done. And then they leave and they go back to doing nothing and you still have to carry them get all their work done. That, that's the kind of vain and empty glory that we're talking about. Jesus said to them, you need to be of one mind, which means your designs, your desires, your dreams, when they come into conflict with others, we're going to have to do something about that because a body of Christ, the church, excuse me, is the body of Christ. And a body, you can't be going one way with one foot and one way with the other foot, a different way. It's just not going to work. You can't be pulling in one direction and not. You know what it's like when your leg falls asleep, right? And you stand up and you don't realize that it fell asleep. What happens? Probably going to fall over, right? That's because it's not on board. They're not all working together. Not everything is, is done properly. You've been sitting too long and you get up. Um, I saw it happen and I felt so bad for this guy. There was uh, baby day at the church that, that I served at when I was back in Tennessee. It was baby day, and everybody in this giant church brought all of their babies up, and they took pictures with Pastor and his wife, and there was a photographer, and I mean, I don't know how long he was there, but he was down like in a catcher squat like this, taking pictures up at all these babies. He must have been there for 40 minutes. I, I'm not joking. It was that long that it happened. And then when he tried to get up, you should have seen his legs. They did this. He wobbled and he fell over and he tried to get back up and he wobbled and he fell over again until one of the guys on the platform grabbed him and put him in a chair. He, he had, I mean, there was no blood flow left. A body can't work like that. A body has to be on the same page in one accord. And that means that some things that we want ourselves, we're going to have to deny. And when we're prideful, it's my way or the highway. It's my way versus someone else's way. You know, these 
Unfortunately, these things of strife and vainglory, they are common motives of people. You ever met anybody that just liked to fight? You ever met somebody that just wanted to win every argument? Right? They have to win. They have to get the last word. I know none of you are like that. You don't all have to get the last word. That's good of you. I could be accused of that every once in a while, I suppose. And it would be accurate. Vain glory to puff ourselves up. That's, that's not a good motive, but unfortunately, it's a motive that a lot of people have. They want to look good. And they want people to think that they look good. And they want to hear that they look good. And I'm not just talking about that they're having a nice day with their hair. I mean that they're a good person and they look like it on the outside. That, that's their motivation. They're only doing what they do in order to be seen. And he says, that's not going to work. Let nothing be done through that. That's not any way for people to behave, especially God's children and especially inside of a church. You know, I love people that cover a multitude of sins with love. The Bible uses that phrase to cover a multitude of sins with love. You know what that means? That you just allow your love for somebody, which is a decision, by the way, not just your feeling on that day. It's a commitment, a decision that you make to cover over the problems. Did you know this is crazy. You don't have to fight every battle that comes your way with everybody you meet. You don't have to set everybody straight. They might be wrong. You might be right. But did you know you don't have to go start an internet crusade in order to prove that it's true? You don't have to. And it's wild today because we think everybody needs to hear everything that we have to say and we have to fix everybody's everything. Sorry, that position has been taken. God is still on the throne and he deals with people, especially with his children. And he fixes the things that need to be fixed. And he does it in a way that is fruitful and not harmful. He does it in a way that's fruitful and not harmful. Instead of pride, Paul's saying here, I want you to do it in lowliness of mind. You know what we would call that today? Humility. Humility. And humility is not necessarily thinking about how terrible you are and, and never accepting a compliment and talking about how rotten you are. When someone says, oh, you did a good job. Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, what a great, thank you so much. Oh, it was nothing. You know, I should have done more. That's, that's not humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Actual humility is unconscious because if you're actively not thinking about yourself, you're still thinking about yourself, not thinking about yourself. So when it comes to not thinking about yourself, it's an unconscious thing. And the closer you get to Christ and the more that we see ourselves focusing on what others need. And that's the latter part of verse three in lowliness of mind. So in humility, not prideful, not puffed up, letting others have the right of way. Let each esteem other better than themselves. To esteem means to assign value to something or to someone. And so, you know, self-esteem, people talk about self-esteem. That's to, to think well of yourself. Here it's saying something completely different than what we've been taught. It's saying here that you need to think of others and value them more than your own self, especially when you're inside and dealing with God's people, inside of a home, inside of a church. He's saying, this is how Christians ought to behave one with another. Not fighting, not arguing, not puffed up, not difficulty. I mean, I, there are some places that I imagine some of you dread going back to work this week because you know you're immediately going to step into conflict because somebody's going to cause problems. You just know it. You know as soon as you get there, there's going to be trouble because so-and-so doesn't like this person and there's always drama. There's always somebody who's upset about something. There's always gossip and you just think, Ugh, I don't want to step back into that. I'm not interested in that. Your home ought not be like that. 
Your home ought to be a sanctuary from that. The church ought not be like that. It ought to be a sanctuary of that. You know, um, when you yield and let somebody else go first, that's what this is talking about. You know, you see the, the triangle sign that says yield. What that means, though many people probably don't understand it from, I see how they drive, is they're supposed to slow down so the other person can have the right of way. They're supposed to go. It doesn't mean go faster and not let somebody in. If, that, if any of you were taught that, I want you to know it's not what that, that means. It means to actually slow down and let the other person have the right of way. In lowliness of mind, esteem others better than themselves. This is directly opposite to what the world, which is this whole way of living that leaves God out, that we experience out here, that is very selfish and becomes very wicked very quickly. That's completely different. They're going to tell you, take care of number one. Take care of yourself. Get what you can get for yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. But verse number four, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Listen, I've got my problems and I've got my bills to pay and I've got my opportunities to take care of. I've got my health problems. I've got my conflicts. I've got my time that I need for me. I've got my projects. I've got all of this. I don't have time to get involved and help anybody else. Take care of me. Now, I don't think that it honors God to run yourself into the ground. I think that serving the Lord in the Christian life is most often a marathon. Some of us, we only get a sprint. We're not here for very long. But the vast majority of us, it's a marathon. And we need to treat it as a marathon. And so we, I, don't, I, don't, I know that um, people say that they want to you know, burn the candle at both ends and burn out for Christ. And I understand the sentiment of that. And I've read missionary biographies and things like that of people who ended up giving their lives and giving their lives young for the cause of Christ. And it spurred many other people on. But I think for the, the vast majority of us that aren't going into the depths of the jungles or into the nomadic tribes or into the, uh, the New Hebrides where there were headhunters and things like that, I think for the vast majority of us, we need to think about this as a marathon. But there, there is an idea that is permeating our society. In fact, I was told it yesterday that you've got to take care of yourself. And I think that there's some truth to that. Jesus went apart from the disciples to spend time alone with God spend time in prayer? He most certainly did. But I think that sometimes we can go too far in the other direction trying to find what we need to live a healthy, complete life that we can go too far in the direction of taking care of ourselves to where we're only living for ourselves and for nobody else. Here he says, you're all looking on your own things and your own stuff and your own problems and you're not looking at how you can bless and help someone else. And he says, that's not how this ought to be. That's not lowliness of mind. That's not lowliness of mind. You know, they say nice guys finish last. That's what they say in society. Nice guys finish last. You know what? Maybe in this world it looks like they do, but they most certainly don't in the world to come. The obscure people that nobody ever knows about, that are praying, that are serving, that are helping in ways that no one ever sees, they're the ones that are going to be first. The first shall be last and last shall be first, the Lord Jesus said. Very different way of living. Our flesh really doesn't like this. Our flesh wants to take care of itself. By the way, the flesh is that part of you that's attracted towards doing wrong. And don't pretend you don't have it, because <laughs> we all do, right? I dealt with my flesh this morning. I kept hitting the snooze button when I needed to be up. That was my flesh being lazy, and that was me allowing it to be lazy. 
when I knew the Spirit wanted me to rise and to get ready. Care about what happens to others, how we bless others. If you have trouble in your own life, serve someone that can do nothing for you. If you're having trouble in your life, if you've got problems at work, if you've got problems financially, if you've got health problems, if you've got problems at home, if you've got problems at school, serve somebody that can do nothing for you. It's amazing what a weight is lifted off of our shoulders when we leave our pain and our suffering, which becomes the focal point of our life, and we go and we help somebody else. You say, that's the last thing I need to do. I need to get everything in order here in home. You can't set sail on a leaky ship and all. I've heard all of that and I know what you're saying. And it seems like there would be wisdom there. But from personal experience, I promise you, when you're having trouble, go help somebody. And you will see a great difference in your circumstances. A great difference in your circumstances. One of the things that helps me is when I help somebody that can do nothing for me, and I see, you know what? It could be a whole lot worse than what I have going on right now. Because you never know what that other person is going through. And as you enter into their life, you see it. You say, why would I do that? Why would I give up my dreams, my designs, my desires? Why would I esteem others better than myself? Why would I sacrifice my time to go help other people? And, and, I, and I really believe that what we're talking, what's being told here is not about helping other people with spare time and spare change. I believe that this is talking about giving of yourselves to the point where you don't like it in your flesh, but God likes it in your spirit. Why would we do this? Verse number five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, this is how I want you to think about it, because this is how the Lord Jesus thought about it. Verse number six, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Think for a second about the Lord Jesus Christ. He did not begin in Bethlehem. He is the second person of the Trinity. He has always existed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all equally God with one another. Jesus in no wit, in no way, is any less than God the Father or God the Son. And he existed in eternity past as the Trinity with God. And there was a time when he took on flesh. He left the splendors of heaven for this dirty world. He left the comfort and the glory and the worship of all of the beings in heaven, all of the angels, the throne that was there. And he came down to this world with all of its problems to be wrapped in a body that needed to be showered and fed and changed and to eat and have sicknesses and all of the trouble that's on down here in this broken world. He was willing to leave all of that to come here and do this. And he didn't come as a king. He came as a servant. He didn't come to seek his own, but to seek the things of others. He didn't come to just indulge and bless himself, but to bless others. And when he came, it says that he was made in the likeness of men. Verse number eight, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, he humbled himself. He stepped down. Do you know know what condescension is? Condescension really doesn't sound very nice. It means when someone speaks down to you, 
but the idea of condescension is they don't actually deserve to speak down to you because they're no better than you are. When Christ stepped down, he condescended, and he was right to do so. Because of who he is, because of what he's done, because of his glory, and he came down to be here, he willingly humbled himself. And you know what Jesus deserved? What did Jesus deserve? All the splendors of heaven. All of the praise of all of the angels and all of the saints that have gone on before us and before this time. He deserved the the crystal palaces and the golden streets and all of the things that we read about in the New Jerusalem. He deserves all of that and more. That's what he deserves. But you know what he received is he stepped down. And he came unto his own and they received him not. They rejected him. I want you to think about him doing that even though he didn't deserve it. And he humbled himself unto death. Do you know who dies? Sinners die. That's why people die. In Romans chapter 5, I didn't put this in the slides, but in Romans chapter 5, in verse number 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Every natural man to ever walk this earth, every man, woman, boy, girl, anyone who's part of mankind has sinned except for the Lord Jesus Christ. He never sinned, and because he never sinned, he never deserved to die the death that man dies. And not only that, he became obedient unto death. He chose to do it. It had no power over him. How do we know it had no power over him? He says, I lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. He's like, no one can take it from me. I choose to lay it down. Also, he didn't stay dead for very long because death couldn't hold him. He defeated death and hell and the grave and is alive forevermore. We know that death had nothing on him, but he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, the cross was a terrible way to die. It was a death reserved for public executions of criminals so the Roman Empire could say, if you mess with us, guess what you're getting? It was a deterrent. It was so horrible that people thought, I want nothing to do with that. It was excruciating. It oftentimes was more than a day. It was pain and asphyxiation. And I won't go into all of it, but it was, it was truly as bad as you could imagine. And Jesus knew the whole time that that's what laid ahead of him. Because it wasn't by accident that this was going to happen. Jesus Christ was laying down his life to die in our place, to die for us and as us, to make a way so that you and I can come back to God. And he was willing to humble himself, though he deserved so much better, and he was willing to deny himself, though he shouldn't have had any restrictions put on him. He was willing to do that. Why? To bless others. Who? Me. You. All of us that know him as Savior. He was willing to step down and do that. So if Christ, our great example, by the way, he's more than an example. He is the Savior. He is God in flesh, but he is most certainly an example as well. Some people reduce him to that, but he is so far greater than just an example. But he is an example. And if he, who deserves so much more, is willing to condescend, willing to humble himself, how can you and I stand and say, I deserve better than this. Don't you know who I am? I'm kind of, I mean, I don't want to say anything, but kind of a big deal around here, you know? Who are we if Jesus was willing to do that? 
That's the motivation because of what our Savior did. You see, Jesus was willing to deny himself, and because of that, we can deny ourselves. We can deny ourselves so we can find unity with other believers. And how do we do that? Instead of standing where I want to stand and you stand where you want to stand on an issue, let's go stand where God stands. Let's find ourselves unity in lining up where God is. It's not my side versus your side. It's everybody get on Jesus' side. Everybody get on Jesus' side. We can deny ourselves to bless and serve others even though it doesn't benefit us like the Lord Jesus did. A few practical applications. A few practical applications. First of all, seek unity with others. If you're in the habit of writing things down, taking notes, seek unity with others. Paul was addressing believers who were seemingly divided in arguing, though we don't know all the issues about it. They didn't have unity. They didn't have like-mindedness. They didn't have that same love. They weren't in one accord. And he desperately wanted them to be unified because he knew what happens among a body when it's not unified. He knew that if the body's not functioning well, that it's not going to accomplish what it's supposed to accomplish. And brother, sister in Christ, I want you to know we have a great work to accomplish. We have the great privilege of helping other people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, to become more like him, to not only bring God glory, but to live the best possible lives that they can live on this earth, preparing them for life in heaven. We have a great work and there is no time for people to say, well, it's my way or the highway. We line up and see, this is the wonderful thing. Paul wasn't asking them to obey because he thought he was the best and he was in charge. You know what he appealed to them on? The basis of Christ. Because Paul didn't have that kind. His account wasn't big enough for them to say no to themselves and to say no to their own interests and to try and bless others. He had to appeal to what Christ did for them. And because of that, he had ground to stand on. It's really easy to think that we're always right. It's really easy to think that we're always right. Because, I mean, who wants to go around thinking that they're always wrong? Nobody does that, right? Sometimes we only ever admit that we're wrong grudgingly about 10 years after the fact. But here, it's not about me me being wrong and you being right or vice versa. It's about us standing where Christ is. What does God want us to do? What does the Bible say? So seeking unity with others really means to decide to do what pleases God and to do it because we think of the thankfulness, the gratitude that we have encountered because of all of his goodness towards us. If we all do what pleases God, we'll find ourselves like-minded and in one accord. So seek unity with others. Second of all, deny yourself and serve others. Deny yourself and serve others. This world's motto, like we mentioned, is to take care of yourself first. And then if you have anything left over that doesn't cost you too much, you can give it to somebody else. God's word tells us that rivalry, jealousy, ambition, strife, we need to get rid of it. We need to put it away. It has no place. We're asked to be humble and to put other people first. It's easy to be preoccupied with our own stuff. Does anybody just have an overwhelmingly small amount of problems in their life right now where you just need somebody else's problems to help solve? I don't, mean a lot of, I don't meet a lot of people that have that issue where they're like, man, I just, I wish I could help solve somebody's problems. I've got all this leftover money. I wish I could just spend it on somebody. I've got all this leftover time. I wish I could just use it with somebody. I've got all of this energy and effort and talent. I just wish that somebody was sitting out there that had a problem that I could help. That is not normally how we think naturally, naturally, 
it's easy to be selfish. But Christ calls us to a supernatural life, something that is above and beyond and is only enabled by him. We have to serve others even when it's messy. You ever notice that? You try and help somebody and it's not a clean process. Oh, by the way, could you do one more thing? Pastor, you never had that happen, right? (laughs) You go and you try and help somebody that have a need and then all of a sudden it's bigger than you thought it was, right? And then it's bigger than you thought it was and then it keeps going and it keeps going and and you think, this is such a mess. I shouldn't have even done this. I shouldn't have even began to go down this road. No, part of saying no to ourselves is, you know, I'm tired, but I'm going to go and do this for them because they need it and I can do it. I'm going to help them. I'm going to esteem them better than myself. And this is about being intentional in serving other people. Pastor Steve gave me a book recently called Grab a Towel. And I haven't read the whole thing, but one of the things that I've, I've taken away from it so far is that if you want to be humble, do humble things. If you want to be a servant, then do the work of a servant. And I thought, I don't really like that. (laughs) I'd like to have the mindset of a servant, but not actually do all that. But that's unfortunately not how it works. We need to deny ourselves and serve others. And again, the whole reason is, lastly, be humble like the Savior. This is the reason we do it. Jesus, though he deserved, and still does deserve, by the way, all glory and honor, comfort and worship, he humbled himself to bless others, and to save them. For the joy that was set before him, it says, he endured the cross, despising the shame. I I once had a a Catholic friend of mine ask if I thought that Jesus didn't really have a problem going to the cross because he knew that he was going to rise again from the grave. And so it was kind of like knowing that, yeah, it's going to be bad, but it's not going to be that bad because I get out of it in the end. And I just kept thinking about the distress that Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. As he was battling his humanity and his divinity, seeking to please the Father, but his flesh, not in the sense of sinful flesh, but just humanity's desire to avoid pain, humanity's desire to to extend life and to survive, and battling with what was ahead of him. I thought to myself later on, I'm like, it didn't make it that much easier knowing that he would rise again. It was truly a great gift, and a great sacrifice. If Jesus can humble himself to please the Father, who deserves so much better, then you and I can humble ourselves as well. We're not above it. We're not too good for it. If Jesus isn't too good for it. And and I sometimes think, I don't really want to put others first. I'm tired, and I'm busy, and I have things to do, but my Savior did. And if I want to be like my Savior then I'm going to have to follow in his footsteps. If I want to please the Father as he pleases the Father, then I'm going to need to be like him. I'm going to need to choose unity over my own personal pet peeves. So, I'll do it. When I need to choose to bless others, then to bless myself or to just get off my feet and rest for a little while, then I'm going to do it. And just a reminder of what we said, true humility is really an unconscious thing. It's not thinking less of yourself, It's thinking about yourself less, less often. That's what true humility is. The word of God says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment?
In our church, we have what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about. And I don't know what the Lord has spoken to you about, but that's what we prayed for when we got here is that God would speak to you. I know that I can get very selfish. I know that I have an often an easy time saying I'm too busy for that. And the Lord's spoken to me about it. But maybe he's spoken to you about something very different. Maybe he's spoken to you about some strife or conflict in your life. And the conflict is there because not everybody is lining up with what God says about it. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in this church, though I don't know of anything. Maybe it's at your home. Maybe it's among your peer group, among your dorm mates. Could be a number of different scenarios. But if you're going to seek unity, some things have got to change. If you're going to be in lowliness of mind and humble yourself, God's going to have to help you do it. If that's you this morning, and God is working on your heart, I want you to bring that conflict to him and say, Lord, thy will be done. Your way. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom. Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior. I'm not asking if you're a good person or a bad person or if you belong to a church or if you do good works helping people. I'm asking, has there ever been a time when by faith you prayed and asked the Lord Jesus to forgive your sins and to save you? If you've never done that, it doesn't matter if you're a member of this church, if you've been baptized in this baptistry, nothing matters if you don't, by faith, believe on Christ. That's how you become a child of God. If you've never done that today, or you're not sure about it, or you have doubts as to whether or not heaven is your home after this life is over, I want you to get that settled today. There's no better way to begin this year than to know that you have the eternal life that's only found in Jesus Christ. In just a moment, when we stand and sing, I'll be down here at the head of the aisle. Just slip out of your seat and come and let me know and say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. And someone will take you aside privately, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, and they'll show you how you can know from God's word without a shadow of a doubt how to be saved and how heaven is your home. Perhaps you're here today and things have been very much about you lately. Your projects, your plans, your side hustles. You've been spending a lot of time perhaps away from home, away from kids. It's been a selfish endeavor. Maybe you've been given over to what makes you happy and what makes you comfortable instead of the things that you know are right. If that's you this morning, I want you to know you don't have to stay there. Christ has something so far better for you. You'd be surprised how good a life it is. Live for others and not for yourself. It will go against what you hear out there, but you will find a peace that is even better than what anything out there can offer you and a fulfillment. If that's you today, would you bring that before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to, not, to deny self and to serve others, to esteem others greater than me, to not be preoccupied with my pain and my problems so that I might know your blessing. Lastly, maybe the problem is pride. The problem is pride. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know how long I've been at this church? Don't you know how much I know about the Bible and how many things that I've done? Friend, we've got no legs to stand on until we are like Jesus Christ. And since none of us are perfect yet, we've all got some changing to do. We all need to be humble. We all need to be teachable. We all need to be willing to say yes 
to serving others because nothing is beneath us, because nothing's beneath our Savior when he was willing to humble himself for the cross. Maybe you've never trusted or you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism or you want to put your life and influence in this church as a member. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you about today, maybe something we didn't even mention, say yes to him during this time. Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people for your glory and for their good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.